Well, go ahead and open your Bibles to Psalm 23. You probably guessed I would say that. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one of these on the floor around you, and it's page 382 in these Bibles. We're in week four, as Jerry said, of a six-week series called The Valley, and uh, it's about Psalm 23, which is really one of the most well-known passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. And when we started, I got to be honest, um, I was a little bit thinking, like, really, we're going to spend six weeks on just six verses? Like, how are we going to come up with that much content? That's a lot to spend on a verse. And sometimes we have these, like, long passages of Scripture that we have to figure out how to narrow down into a message. So maybe um, we'll have a chapter and a half that we have to figure out how to get into 30 minutes, and that's difficult. But this is like, oh, no, I don't know, one one verse a week for six weeks? I didn't think there would be uh, much, we wouldn't have the ability to do that. But I, I think so far it's been really good. It's been really helpful for me. Has it been helpful for you, I hope? Yeah, good. And so what we've decided, good, because what we decided to do is we're going to just extend this series. So we um, had to make a decision after last week. We canceled church services on Sunday morning. And so it's like, well, do we just go on to verse five or do we do we do verse five and six together or do we shorten the next series because we're already planned out through Easter and we ain't moving Easter. Uh, and so we had to make a decision on what to do. And what we decided was we're going to go ahead and finish out this series, four, five, and six, the next three weeks. So this series will go a week longer than we planned. Um, but I think there's just been so much richness to this passage, and it's been so helpful for people in our church. So we're going to keep going, all right? So Psalm 23 was written by a man named David. Most of you know, uh, Michael said David was king. He was also a soldier. Before he was a soldier, he was a lowly shepherd boy. And I say lowly shepherd boy not because I think like the position of shepherd is a lowly position to have, but David was actually a little man. He was uh, uh, kind of the runt of the litter, and so much so that when David's father learned that one of his sons was going to be anointed king, you may know this story from the book of Second uh, Samuel. He, First uh, Samuel, he uh, brought all of his sons out in front of the prophet except David. Now, can you imagine being in a situation where somebody says, "Oh, I'd like to meet all your kids," and you line up all your kids except one, and forget about them? And and so when Samuel goes by his sons and goes, "That's not him. That's not him. That's not him." Are, are you sure this is it? Are there any more sons? And then Jesse says, "Oh, well, there is." David out in the field. Like (laughs) he was the forgotten boy. He was a lowly shepherd, but he was out there every day. And as David was out protecting the sheep, feeding the sheep, and he was fighting off bears and fighting off lions. And he's out there thinking, you know, on occasion, something would happen and he would go, you know what? Being a shepherd is a little bit like, it reminds me a little bit about God, like how he protects me and he provides for me and he is always there for me. And someday, David thinks, I'm going to write a poem about this, and people are going to print it on their coffee cups and drink it with their breakfast, you know? And uh, David learned during that time that life is hard, right? That life has some hard moments. We all have gone through or will go through low moments in our lives, the valleys of life. And David had plenty of these. But somewhere along the way, something clicked for him. Like David recognized that the, this this, he had a loving and caring shepherd in the God of the universe and that the, the God of the universe wasn't satisfied to just be the God of the universe way up there, that he wanted to be a personal shepherd for David. And that made all the difference for him. And for you and me, when we finally recognize that we have a God who is a powerful creator God, but also wants to be our personal shepherd, well, that can make all the difference in our lives as well. And that's why David could say in Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack 
nothing. In God, I have everything I need. There's nothing that I lack. He is my shepherd, and as my shepherd, I know I can trust that he's going to take care of me. He's going to protect me. He's going to provide everything that I need. And then the rest of Psalm 23 is really all about how God provides for us and how he protects us. And so we've talked about that up to this moment until today we get to verse 4, Psalm 23, 4, um, which is the verse where we took the name of this series, the valley. And it says this, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you, God, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And if you grew up in church, or maybe you heard this verse as a child, or maybe you went to Christian school or Christian daycare, and you had to memorize uh, Psalm 23, you may know that the King James Version doesn't translate this as the darkest valley, but as what? The valley of the shadow of death, right? The valley of the shadow of death. And in many ways, isn't death kind of the darkest shadow of all? I know many of us in this room have lost loved ones recently, or we fear the loss of a loved one soon. And all of us have some level of fear of death, either for our own death or for the death of someone around us. And whether it's a tragic, unexpected death or a slow, painful death, I mean, it can generate fear in even the most fearless among us. But death isn't really what the words in Psalm 23 are about. David is talking about those valleys we go through, those low moments, those valleys that we have the potential to emerge from and maybe even stronger than when we entered them. You know, we hit on this a bit week one, but when we think about sheep and pastures, uh, we tend to think of endless, lush, green valleys, the kind of pastures that we see in the Midwest and the United States. But that's not the case in Israel. For David, many of the places that he tended sheep would have looked something like this. Uh, it was sandy, it was desert, it was hilly, it was rocky, you know, desert, complicated, difficult terrain. And it's not only dry, but but, you know, hills and valleys, and whenever there's a peak, there's a deep, dark valley surrounding them. You know, and so a couple of examples of these valleys, you can see, depending on the time of day, how the shadows can overcome the valley. They can come and fill in those deep valleys. And if you look at this next one, um, what does this picture reveal? Well, if you notice something about the valley, you'll see shadows, first of all. You see the darkness down in there, but not sure how you can see it, but there's water down in the valley. And then unlike many other places in the desert, you can see that there's green down there. There's vegetation, there's plant life, there's, there's food, animals' food down in the valley. But there are a couple of dangers too that are unique to the valley. First of all, there's always the danger of flash floods. Uh, even if it's not raining where you are, it could be raining upstream and a good shepherd would know that if it's raining somewhere, there's an opportunity for the water to come rushing through the valley and wipe out everything in its path. There can be a flash flood. There's also the danger of predators. I mean, lions and bears and wildcats will hang out in the valleys because they know that that's where their food is going to be. And so uh, they, when flocks are passing through the valleys, uh, those predators can prey on the flocks of sheep. But the truth is that sometimes the valleys provide exactly what the sheep needs. So while the valley can be a frightening and dangerous place, it's sometimes necessary for the shepherd to lead his sheep through the valley. Notice I did not say into the valley, but through the valley. We'll get to that in a minute. Now, it wouldn't take much time for us to build a list of the different valleys of life, would we? Would it? I mean, most of us can think of the valley that we've recently gone through, that we're in now. Maybe it's the valley of failure. Maybe it's the valley of a broken relationship. 
the valley of sickness, the valley of divorce, the valley of bankruptcy, the valley of betrayal, the valley of addiction or depression or assault or death. When we go through those valleys, one of two things can happen. Sometimes good things result. We're stronger on the other side. Those difficult days have the potential to shape our character and provide for us an opportunity to help others. I was talking to a friend of mine this week who went through a difficult time in his marriage a couple of years ago, and he's using that now to minister to other people who have been in difficult times in their marriage. Uh, That happens sometimes. Sometimes when we have a tough marriage and we go through a valley like this, our marriage is stronger on the other side. It's not like how it used to be. It's better. Sometimes our friendship, if our friendship is broken, we'll go through a valley and our friendship can be stronger on the other side, right? And so uh, in the valley, our faith can grow. We can become more dependent on Christ. Maybe you found Christ in the valley. But we all know plenty of stories, don't we, of people who have never really come out of the valley. Like they've never recovered. Maybe, maybe somebody here today feel like you went into a valley and you've never come out. So why chance it? Like if there's so much danger in the valley, why would a loving shepherd risk leading his sheep into a place like that? I mean, sure, that's where the food and water is. But sometimes the valley is a necessary passageway to something greater on the other side, right? Sometimes, uh, you know, notice that David says, even though I walk through the valley, not into the valley, even though I walk through the valley, which it indicates that I'm going into the valley with the uh, defined purpose of coming out on the other side of the valley, that there's something greater over there. It's a necessary passageway to get to something greater on the other side. Author Jeff Mannion calls these valleys of life, he calls them the necessary middle space. Now, through his book, The Land Between, uh, Mannion talks about the experience of the Israelites and their 40 years wandering in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And, and Mannion says this about the middle space. He says, the desert or the valley is not intended to be their final destination, but rather a necessary middle space where they will be formed as a people and established in their connection to God. Formed as a people and established in their connection to God. I want to tell you this morning that no matter where you are on your faith journey, one of the things that God is doing in your life is he's changing you. He's working on you. He's transforming you slowly but surely from the inside out. He's messing with you just a little bit. And you may not like it. You may not have asked for it and you may not want it but he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. He wants to transform you into the image of his son, Jesus. And he wants to establish our connection with him. That's why the apostle Paul wrote this in Ephesians 3. He wrote to the church in Ephesus, he said, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, the people of God, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. These valleys of life are those places where we can be rooted and established in our faith. I mean, how many of us really grew to know God when we were standing on the mountaintop? There aren't many people, I'm sure it's happened, but there aren't many people who think, you know what? My marriage is great. My financial situation is great. My health is great. 
I think I need God, right? But don't, isn't it true that many of us meet God in the valley? It's when we're in our lowest moments, when we're the most desperate for something to happen. Something's got to come through. Someone has to come through. And that's where we see God. It's where we realize how desperate we are. It's where we do things like we evaluate our priorities and our purpose in life. The valleys provide a place to encounter God in ways like we never have before. Author Philip Keller says it this way. He says, it's in the valleys that we are forced to find refreshment in God. It's he's all we have. It's where we find that he's the only one we can count on. And so while the valley can lead us to really good things in life, there's still a really scary place, right? And sometimes we're afraid. And maybe you have something in your life you're afraid of. I, many of you know, if you've been around for a while, you know I'm awfully afraid of snakes. Uh, I don't know why. I've never been bitten by a snake. I've never had a bad encounter with a snake, but I love to be outdoors. I love to go hiking. And so the fact that I'm afraid of snakes really puts a damper on that because we'll hike through some of the most beautiful places in the world and they are filled with poisonous snakes. My wife and I, we love to go to Arizona in the, in the fall and the spring when it's cold here, but it's nice there. And we go hiking. And I remember one time we're hiking at South Mountain Park just outside of Phoenix. And they have this this plant from the pit of hell, uh, and it's called brittle brush. And brittle brush has these little seed pods that hang on it. And when the wind blows, it sounds for all the world like the rattle on a rattlesnake. And so my wife and I are hiking, and she doesn't care about snakes. She doesn't know uh, fear of them. And we're walking, and about every five feet, I hear this, and I'm, I'm like jumping all over the place trying to get away from this plant on the ground because I'm convinced that there is a rattler about to bite my heel and fill me with its poison and kill me right in my tracks. Hey, it was a snake that caused people to sin, okay? It wasn't a spider. (laughs) I'm afraid of snakes and I'm not ashamed to say it. But you know what? There are some things that I'm afraid of that I am a little bit ashamed of. Like I'm afraid of letting my family down. I'm afraid that I'm ruining my kids when I try to parent them. I'm afraid of not leading this church well. I'm afraid of being too bold in my faith. And I'm afraid of not being bold enough in my faith. I'm afraid that someday I'm gonna stand face to face with Jesus and he's gonna say, Steve, I love you. But you miss so many chances to show people my love. You miss so many opportunities. I'm afraid of all those things. And maybe you have similar examples in your life. And I'm ashamed at times. I'm ashamed how frequently I forget about a shepherd who loves me and is there to care for me and to protect me and to provide for me. You know, there are a lot of reasons why fear is such a powerful emotion. You know, there's fear because of past experience. I've been through that before. I know what it's like. I know that I can be afraid of that. We, we, We have fear because of, other people's experiences. Like I've seen somebody walk through this moment. I know it can be dangerous or challenging. Uh, Fear can strike at our imagination, right? We don't have to live in a moment too long before we start to imagine things that are never, ever going to happen, but we can still be deathly afraid of them. And sometimes we fear evil because there's evil in the world, right? We live in a world where bad things happen to people every day. So what does it mean for somebody like David to be able to say, even though I walk through the darkest valleys, I will fear no evil. Does it mean that he never got nervous? That David was never anxious? 
That David was never really afraid? I don't think so. Instead, I think what it means is that David learned to do something that we can learn to do as well. And I think it's pointed out best in 2 Corinthians 10. Now, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. In other words, when those fears, rational or irrational, when they enter our head, you know, we can take those thoughts and those fears and set it up against the knowledge of God. What do we know about God to be true? And somewhere along the way, David learned to overcome the thoughts about this or that or what if or what would happen and put all his focus on the knowledge of God. What do I know to be true about God, about the shepherd who was always there by his side? And for followers of Jesus, I've got to tell you, this is a tool that we can use. And one thing for sure you can be certain of that you don't have to fear is you don't have to fear death. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, death is not in the cards for you. Like You don't have to die. You are assured of eternity in heaven with Jesus because he defeated death on the cross. Here's what theologian Charles Spurgeon had to say in his commentary on Psalm 23. I love this comment. He said, it's not the valley of death but the valley of the shadow of death. For death in its substance has been removed and only the shadow of it remains. Someone has said that where there is a shadow, there must be light somewhere, and so there is. Death stands by the side of the highway in which we have to travel, and the light of heaven shining upon him throws a shadow across our path. Let us then rejoice that there is a light beyond. Nobody is afraid of a shadow, for a shadow cannot stop a man's pathway even for a moment. The shadow of a dog cannot bite. The shadow of a sword cannot kill. The shadow of death cannot destroy us. You know, sheep, we've already established, I think, are anxious animals. But when they trust their shepherd, when all of their focus is on the shepherd and what he can do for them, their fear is overcome by the confidence they have in him. They've got the shepherd they know they can trust. They know that he has their best interest in mind. And so they don't have to be afraid. And because their senses are heightened when they're in danger, you know, if you're walking through a valley, you're aware that there might be predators around, your senses are heightened. You, you smell things better. You see things better. You hear things better. They have greater focus when they follow their shepherd. They realize that there is something important to be found in the valley and something greater on the other side. So even in the shadows, they keep following the shepherd. They keep trusting the shepherd. Just, just look at the story of David's life. He, he spent so much time on the run, fleeing for his life, fleeing from his enemies. He was intimately acquainted with the, with the wilderness and with the valleys of life. I think if David were here today, he'd say something like, you know, I never wish the valley on anyone, but my faith wouldn't be the same apart from having gone through some valleys. What, it's where I learned dependence and trust and waiting on him and watching him provide for me. I think it's why David could say, I will fear no evil. Why? Because God is with me. Now, when I think about some other words from David, I can only imagine him writing these words from another one of life's valleys. Psalm 139, verse 7, he says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, 
If I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become like night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. For the night will shine like day, for darkness is as light to you. You know, no normal person, I think, looks forward to the difficult times of life. Uh, But for David, it was in the valley, those moments in the valley where he experienced and learned to trust God like no other time in his life. I mean, think for a moment. Just think about the times you've said something like, I just want to be closer to God. I just want to experience him in greater ways. I just want to know him more. Could it be that the valley and maybe even the one that you're in right now is the exact place where God wants you so that he can do something great in your life and in your faith, something he's never been able to accomplish with you while you're standing on the mountaintop because you're just so darn independent. You just don't need him then. There's a couple other details in this verse to that add, I think, to David's confidence in God um, as his shepherd. Psalm 23, 4 again says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And then it says, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, a rod and a staff were two implements traditionally used by a shepherd. A, a rod was like a weapon. It was like a club, and it may have had uh, nails or shards of glass or sharp rocks embedded in the end. And a good shepherd would have never gone out for the night or for the day, uh, never ventured down into the valley without his weapon, without his rod. Right? He, it's a tool he used to fight off predators. It was necessary for his own safety, but certainly for the safety of the sheep. He'd never used it on the sheep. He would use it to protect the sheep. And then he always took a staff, too. Now, a staff is what we think about when we think about a shepherd. It's the, the hooked uh, staff. It's got the hook on one end and a long rod, and the, the uh, shepherd would lean on that and look out over the sheep as they grazed in the field and look out over the landscape. And it was a tool to use to guide and direct the sheep. He would uh, prod them with one end, never, never hurting them, but prod them with one end. And then if a sheep you know, fell or fell over or fell off the path, he could use the hook end to like, bring them back to safety. So you can see how the visible presence of these tools added to the comfort and security that sheep would find in their shepherd. And for you and me as, as um, followers of Jesus, getting through the valley and emerging through the other side has everything to do with our confidence in God. It's our faith that reminds us that he's in charge and always in control. He's got the right tools to keep us safe, to protect us, and to provide for us. And so no matter what it is that threatens you today, no matter what valley you're in, no matter what battle you're fighting, you can know he's close to you right now. That God is with you. He understands the pain and the fear that you've had to go through. He's greater than your greatest difficulty. He is more powerful than your greatest nightmare. He is with you. He is present. Even in the darkest valleys, you can have assurance that God knows the way through to the other side. And so maybe today you're ready to admit that. Maybe you're ready to say, I want that. I I believe that. I want the faith of David. I want to believe that he is close to us and that he's willing to help us, but I don't know how to do that because what happens when I walk out these doors and I go back into the world? What happens when I go to work on Monday morning or when I go to school on Monday morning and things are exactly like they are now? Like when I'm in this place, when I'm in this room, I feel safe and I believe what you're saying about God. 
But when I walk out there into the world where things are still the same, I don't know what to do. I just want to remind you of the personal emphasis that we see in Psalm 23. David says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's this personal touch to this verse. It's David's way of saying, hey, he's not just the God of the universe. He's not just the God of earth or the God of his people. He's the God of me. He's a shepherd that cares for me. He's not just our shepherd. He's my shepherd. He's with me. He guides me. He fights for me. And it's, it's so easy to say that, isn't it, to other people about God? Don't we sometimes have more faith in God with other people's problems? I mean, how many of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, how many of us as friends, when our friend is going through a difficult time, will go to our friend and saying, I believe God can heal you of this. I believe God can fix this in your life. I believe God is there for you. I believe you can trust in him right now. And then when something happens in our life, we say, I don't think God can do it. I just don't think he's got it. I don't know, I, right? I, don't we do that? Like we're not a very good friend to us because a good friend would tell us what God is capable of and what he can do. I have a hard time sometimes believing that for myself. You, you could say we know about God, but do we really know God? Do we know God as the shepherd? Do we, do we really believe and trust what he says and what we learn about him and what we read about him? It's one thing to say he is with us. It's another thing to say he is with me, right? It's, it's one thing to say that he will guide us. It's another thing to say he will guide me. It's one thing to say he fights for us. It's another thing entirely to realize he fights for me. Whatever battle you're fighting today, whatever valley you're going through, maybe you've been in a battle for a long time in your life right now and you're about done. Like you just feel like you can't do it anymore. You realize you can't win and you're ready to give up and you're, you're way too focused on the problem. You're way too focused on the issue, the pain, the adversary, the enemy. Like maybe, like David, you need to take your eyes off of the problem and the enemy, take your focus away from him and put your focus on the shepherd. Your shepherd, the shepherd who loves you, the one who is with you, the one who fights for you, the one who can lead you. I mean, think about this. Sheep have no natural defense mechanism. They don't have sharp teeth like a bear or Long claws like a lion. Oh, that would be something to run into in a pasture, wouldn't it? A sheep like that. They don't have that. They don't have any way to fight. They were never taught any martial art. I mean, they don't, they don't have a way to fight their own battles. They are completely and totally dependent on the shepherd to fight for them. Maybe when we think of it that way, maybe we're a little bit more like sheep than we're willing to admit good news is you have a shepherd, you have a God who fights for you. Any battle you're going through, you don't have to fight it on your own because he is with you. His rod and his staff can comfort you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just thank you personally for that reminder just now today that, that you're fighting battles. I'm fighting battles in my mind that I think you've forgotten about or I think you don't even know about, but there you are. You're standing beside me. You're fighting those battles for me. God, I thank you for that. And for those of us in this room, maybe we've been fighting a battle for a long time. 
that we feel like you've forgotten about or you don't know anything about, Lord, remind us again today that you are our shepherd, that you are my shepherd, that you are there to protect me, that you're there to provide for me, that you care about me and that you fight my battles for me, that I don't have to face the enemy on my own, that that's not how we fight. Surround us, that you protect us, that you love us. We pray all these things in the name.